You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor, and on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to connect with a screenwriter, playwright, author, and writer by the name of Monice Mitchell-Sims, who is coming to us live from Los Angeles, California. In this episode, you're going to learn about Monice's introduction into writing and how she decided to walk away from a promising career in journalism in order to pursue her dreams as a Hollywood screenwriter. Along those same lines, Monice also discusses her decision to pursue a doctoral degree in sociology as an adult learner and how she intends to pay it forward for the next generation. Monice comes to us with a wealth of experience as a screenwriter, where her work has been featured on a variety of networks, including Apple TV and BET+. But above all else, she is a proud graduate of Wayne State University, where she completed her degree in journalism. I bleed green and gold and love connecting with fellow Wayne State University graduates. We are a network that is comprised of trailblazers and innovators. So it's always an honor where we're able to share a success story of a fellow Wayne State University graduate here on Detroit Worldwide. Now, all of that being said, you have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only Monice Mitchell-Sims. All right, this is Detroit Worldwide. And today we have the pleasure of being joined by a special guest. This person is a screenwriter, playwright, author, podcast host, and producer. I feel like I ran out all of their titles but our guest on Detroit Worldwide this week is Monice Mitchell-Sims. And in this particular conversation, we are going to dive deep into her amazing background. So, Monice, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. What up, though? What up, though, brother? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the enthusiasm in that what up, though. So, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about your background, screenwriter, playwright. I think I ran down all of your titles, but we're going to allow you the opportunity to talk more about the work that you're doing. Now, in order to do so, why don't you begin by telling our listening audience more about yourself, including all of the amazing work that you're doing? Okay, well, I'll just start with, you know, the main question that Detroit is always asked. I'm from the West Side. Let's start there. I went to Martin Luther King High School, 
which is on the east side. So it's a completely different part of town. But, you know, West Sider, I'm Joy Road, Oakland Boulevard. You know, I'm around that area. Born and raised in Detroit. My whole family is still back there. My mom and dad both came out of the automotive industry. And in my family, I was an alien, you know, walking around, writing poems, doing plays, doing sketches and things like that. My family really didn't know what to do with me. And but I was blessed. I went to a wonderful church, Corinthian Missionary Baptist Church in Hamtramck, Michigan. The late great Dr. Reverend R. Jordan was our pastor. And I was able to find a way to be creative at church, really. That's where it started. I wrote, you know, the Easter plays. I did all the other plays, anything. If somebody needs something written, a Bible story, I was the one to do it. And then that led into me finding ways in school, doing school plays. I went to St. Cecilia School on Burlingame in Detroit, Michigan. So I got a Catholic school education along with a public school education. I just had wonderful teachers and mentors and community people who just saw something in me and fostered this little shy girl who just loved to read and wouldn't talk. And it forced me to tell stories and learn different things. And so I'm just really blessed I was able to find a community of people who saw something in me. And even though they didn't know what writers were or what they did or how they ate, <laughs> they was always finding a way for me to be creative. And that's what that's how I was able to get a lot of things done at a young age. I love that. And I love how you were able to pay respect to your church, giving you that foundation for creativity, but not only that, family as well. So we're going again, learn more about that creative side and what inspired you. Now, before we go into all of that, you mentioned that you grew up on the West Side, but yeah. I'm very curious to know what was your experience like growing up in the D? You know, I rep hard for the D. I have so many main Detroit t-shirts. I mean, I'm, I live in um, South Pasadena, California now. I've been out here in LA for 25 years, but I always rep the D. And whenever someone finds out I'm from Detroit, especially back in the day, it's changed a little bit now, but back in the day, they would go, oh, wow, you made it out. And I'm like, what? Detroit was amazing. It was it was an amazing place to grow up. All my family was there, went to wonderful schools, had wonderful teachers. And yeah, you know, Detroit had issues in the 80s, especially with crack and drugs and, and violence. But I was insulated from that because of the community that I had, the strong community I had, my church and my family and, you know, the neighbors, you know. Everybody on my block, you know, they saw us getting into some trouble. You know, my mother knew about it before I got home. You know, it was a community. So I think and I know in my heart, Detroit was the best place for me to grow up. It was absolutely the best place for me to be. And it's still my heart, even though I live out here, it's still my heart. And I, I wouldn't trade growing up in Detroit for anything. So for me, Detroit was amazing. Now, I introduced you as a writer. But I'm super curious to know, when did you first become introduced to writing? And what did you discover about yourself during this time in your life? I started writing when I was seven. And my mother tells me this story all the time. I wrote a, a poem about an apple tree, you know, a little childhood poem. And I don't think anybody ever told me. I, I've been reading. I've been reading since I was two. So words were always such a big part of my life. Right. And I just started to write at an advanced age because my mother would read to me so much and my father would read to me so much. So I started writing poems then. I mean, I don't even know if I knew it was a poem when I wrote it. And writing for me has always been therapeutic. And I tell people it's my default setting, you know, 
poetry especially is like my my native tongue that's how I communicate and like I said I was really shy as a kid so that's the best way I could communicate my feelings you know through writing and writing has always been my safety net and the thing that always protects me no matter what I'm feeling I can always write and so I know it's a God-given gift because it wasn't something that was like presented to me in a way like this is what writing is. You know, it wasn't presented to me. It just came out naturally. So, you know, writing at age of seven and everything like that. And I started to learn and learn more things, but I didn't really know still what a writer was. You know, what could a writer be? How can a writer live? I, I didn't know. I just read so much and I just kept learning. And, you know, I love like Nikki Chiavani and Sonia Sanchez and Amir Baraka. I was reading poetry at that, you know, at that age, at that band state, learning about our people through how we tell our stories through poetry. And that led to me learning about playwriting and August Wilson and, you know, people like that. Shange uh, and things like I, I was learning playwriting that way. And then I discovered screenwriting a little later, though, because I didn't really know you know, what that was. I knew that I loved TV. I was a TV kid. My mom would just pop me in front of television and just leave me alone. <laughs> and I would sit there for hours and watch everything, no matter what it was. I would watch it all. So I have a TV DNA that goes really far back because I would watch what she watched. You know, the black and white monster movies. And, and, and there was something, I don't remember the name of it because I'm aging myself now, but there was this TV show that came on Channel 50 back in the 70s. And it was just a white guy with a desk. It was like a PBS type situation. He would show really old movies. And I would sit there and watch those movies because we didn't have cable back then, right? So I had to watch what was on the TV. So my knowledge of television and film is much older than I am because I was watching what my mother was watching. I was watching what my grandmother was watching. So I just have this knowledge that is is so deep and that's how I got into figuring out like oh people write this stuff that's on this little tv what is this you know and I started to learn about that so that's a long answer to say I've just been curious about writing since I was a little kid and it was just always been my safe place to go so much of your response resonates deeply with me and probably one of our previous guests and I have to shout out the homie Makisha Matt and Toby because we all are writers and we all are Wayne State graduates. But mm -hmm. the thing that you said resonated deeply with me is that writing was your safety net and it allowed you to express yourself. Right. So in what ways did Detroit foster your creative side? Detroit was like my whole world. You know, as a little kid, I didn't know that anything existed outside Detroit. You know, all my teachers were Black. The businesses were Black-owned. You know, before the Chaldean Arab Americans came into the community, all the businesses were Black-owned. So it was just Black excellence everywhere. You know, Black doctors and Black teachers and Black taxi cab drivers. Just everybody looked like me. So it really gave me a sense of self-worth and a pride about myself that if I had lived someplace else, I don't think I would have gotten. So it fostered this creativity in me to just tell stories. They weren't race-based stories. They were just stories about the people in my life, my community. And I think that was really important for me as a young artist to be in this, this melting pot of Blackness and different, varying, you know, people rich, poor, 
young, old, you know, I, I was just blessed in that I had intergenerational, you know, people in my life as well. So it was just, it meant everything to me and the history that was there as well. Trying the Black Madonna, my father would take me there all the time. So I learned so much about our African history and, and everything. And then, you know, like I said, my church as well, you know, I would go to my mother's church was Corinthian Missionary Baptist Church. And then my father's church was Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. So Vacation Bible School, I learned all about the Bible. And the Bible, first of all, is my favorite book ever. It, is, it has all the stories in it. It's amazing. So learning so much about the Bible really made me a great storyteller. Song of Solomon is like the greatest poem ever, you know? So I think I was just really blessed in being in Detroit at that time, despite the challenges that were coming around the bend. It made me a really specific storyteller. I think, to tell a specific story about Black people in a specific place like Detroit, that we're not the same as anywhere else. And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade growing up in D for anything. So I'm curious to know, what did it mean to attend Wayne State University as a first-generation college student coming out of the D? I'll start with this first. At first, I was disappointed, and I'll tell you why. I got accepted into NYU, but I didn't get a scholarship. So I couldn't go to New York. We didn't know anybody in New York. My mom was like, nah, you ain't going to New York by yourself. Because I was only 17 when I graduated from high school. So she was like, that ain't happening. And I was able to get a full scholarship to Wayne State University, to the Journalism Institute for Minorities. Also got another scholarship to pay for all my books. I went to undergrad completely for free, completely for free. And Wayne State... I had, you know, gone to DIA and been around downtown Detroit, so I knew it was there, but I hadn't paid any real attention to it because I was so disappointed I couldn't go to NYU. And then when I got there, I was really surprised that there weren't a lot of Black people on campus. I was really surprised by that because it's in the middle of a Black, one of the Blackest cities in the world. And I'm like, well, we're in a minority on this campus? What is this about? So that was a shock for me. But the journalism program was amazing. They really fostered your purpose for being a journalist and being in those newsrooms that you have a purpose to serve. You are there to represent your race, to tell the stories that they're overlooking. And they really drilled that into you. And it gave me a sense of purpose for not just wanting to get a byline, but that I'm here representing something. I can't I can't let things go by. I have to speak up. If I see something's wrong, I have to say something. I got to intern every summer. I interned at the Detroit Free Press, Cleveland Plain Dealer, Newsweek Magazine. I mean, like really prestigious newspapers and all of the people that came out of the Institute program at the time were working at New York Times, Washington Post. We were everywhere. So it was honorable to be a part of that program. And I'm glad that I got that training as a journalist because it really did help me for what I'm doing now. Wow. There's, again, so many of your responses, so much to unpack, but what I want to come back to, or rather what stands out to me, is that you were able to do all of these things, but you were the first in your family to attend and graduate college. And I can only imagine how proud your parents must have felt for you to, first of all, get accepted to NYU. Let's not ignore that NYU is one of the most prestigious um, universities in the world. Not to say that Wayne State is it, but to get accepted into NYU, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. But for you to go to Wayne State, 
and graduate with a degree in journalism as the first in your family to go to college. And in many ways, you kind of blaze trails. And I, I just wanted to kind of get to that point and really just highlight the work that you've done. Now, you walked away from a promising career in journalism. You get your degree, but you have aspirations, or rather you had aspirations to become a Hollywood screenwriter. Mm -hmm. So could you walk us through that process and what prompted you to make this shift in your career and also your life? Well, like I said, I've always been a creative person. And honestly, you know, journalism school was something that I did to appease my mother. I wanted her to, you know, I couldn't walk away with full scholarship either. Let's not be crazy. I had to I had to take advantage of that full scholarship. But it really was for her, you know. So she would see that I could feed myself, right? And I was getting something from it as a journalist, but there came a point where my creativity would start to take over and someone would say something and I would start thinking in my head, wow, I wish they said this. Or I wish this was happening. And I'm like, I'm rewriting the story in my head. This is not good. I have to get out now <laughs> before I start plagiarizing things and creating other things, you know? And so I would say around my second internship, summer internship, I kind of knew like, this is not what I really want to do. I'm not the happiest doing this. Because even with that, even when I was in journalism school, I was still in the playwright department. I was still writing plays. I was still writing skits. So I knew, I said, this isn't it. And I just decided when I graduated from college, every internship newspaper I had offered me a job. So I graduated with four job offers. But I knew, I was like, I can't take these job offers because if I take these job offers 10 years from now, I'm going to regret never going after what I really wanted to do. So I need to do this now while I'm still a broke college student before I have, you know, the home and the kids and the car and then I can't walk away from it. It was just me. So I applied to Columbia College in Chicago. And I, again, I went there because it was close by and it was cheaper than NYU. I couldn't afford NYU. And I got in. And I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell her I was accepted. I didn't tell her I was accepted and turned down the job offers until I signed my apartment lease <laughs> in Chicago. I went there, I snuck to Chicago, I signed the lease, I registered for class, came back. And then I was like, yo, mama, you know, hey. And I don't know, I don't know if they called the house, one of the newspapers called the house, and they were like, yeah, Monique hasn't responded to the job offer. I don't know. I got I got found out. And my mother was like, so what's happening? You have four job offers and you're not taking any of them? No, my mom, I'm going to film school. What? She lost. I said, well, before you get upset, I've already signed an apartment lease. I'm already going to school. So this is happening. I said, I did journalism school for you. I need to do this for me. And if, if it doesn't work out, I do have a journalism degree. So I can always go get a job in a newspaper. But if I don't do this right now, because I was I was 20, I said, if I don't do this right now, I'm not going to do it. And so that's why I decided to do it, because I knew that ultimately that journalism was not it for me. You know, this, this isn't where I really want to be. There's more I want to do, more I want to learn and grow. And so I, that's why I walked away from those job offers. And, you know, but that's a decision that, you know, 20 year olds make. <laughs> I don't know if I would have made the same decision at 30, but at 20, yeah, sure. Let's walk away from those job offers. Go to Chicago for grad school. You have no job offers. <laughs> You're getting college loans. I went from 
paying for no education, having to get college loans to go to school. But it was it was the best decision I ever made. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that what you did took great courage. And I say this from the perspective of I work with college students. I was once a college student. And oftentimes students go to college with the intent of getting a particular degree and graduating with said degree and working in that career field. But in my work with college students, I oftentimes tell them that degree doesn't always equal career. Mm-hmm. So you are a perfect example of that. Now, as a screenwriter, you've worked on a variety of shows that have been featured on networks like BET Plus and Apple TV. So could you kind of give us a brief overview of the screenwriting process, including how much time a person has to invest in order to perfect their craft? And as you think about that response, maybe you can maybe briefly tell us about some of the shows that you've had the pleasure of working on, too. Let me start first with saying that the projects I worked on, the the BET Plus project was a film called Redeem, and it was based on a novel called Serving Justice written by the late Jackie Moore. And Jackie Moore was an author and a friend of mine that I met through Corinthian Missionary Baptist Church. She saw me grow up, you know, doing uh, Christmas plays, Easter plays and everything like that. And when she got this opportunity for her novel to be adapted, she asked me personally to do it. So mm. that was a wonderful experience working with her and the producer, Vicky, to get that made. I've done a lot of independent stuff as well. I have some stuff that's coming around the bend and everything like that. And I'm constantly, you know, finding different ways to tell these stories, either through audio dramas or I haven't done playwriting in a while, but TV and everything like that. So far as the screenwriting process goes, I mean, if you're a writer and you have a story to tell, you can just start telling your story. You know, it's not really complicated to write the screenplay. The complication comes in with getting it produced and all that type of stuff. That's a whole nother conversation. But there's so many books that you can read and there's so many things, movies you can watch. I tell people all the time that a lot of people already have the ability to write a screenplay because we watch so much content, right? And you just get the first draft done and then you edit it to get it, to revise it, to make it workable. And I, mean, I also coach people about writing screenplays as well because I've been doing it for so long. So for me, I, I like the process of screenwriting because that's the template for the movie. You know, it's not the most powerful role that a writer has. Your voice is more protected and more pure in prose, writing books, because that's it's one sole person usually. But when you write a screenplay... I mean, once you write it, then it becomes the property of the production and the network and the executives and stuff like that. So sometimes you won't see your vision on the screen. So you have to, that's why I write novels because I'm able to still just write in my pajamas and tell my story and not have to worry about pleasing anybody else. So I'm able to do both. Maybe as a follow-up, what do you feel like you've been able to learn about yourself as a screenwriter doing this so long? You know, actually, at this point in my career, I'm returning to myself 20 years ago. The stories I like to tell, I want to tell the more quiet, smaller stories. I've written some books, I've written some screenplays that are like big, you know, and and, and I'm thinking like, oh, this is a hit. They're going to love this and this will get made or whatever. And, And when I do that, then it doesn't work because it's not it's not coming from my heart. 
And so now I'm returning to what I originally intended to do. I'm writing those smaller stories that I like the most. And I'm not worried about if this is going to be exciting to, you know, a reader or developing exec or whatever. I just want to tell the story for me. So, so that's the return. I think it was probably because I was frustrated, you know, in the beginning telling those stories and getting my heart broken. So I tried to tell bigger stories and I still haven't, you know, I've been able to make some progress, but it's not really me. So I'm just returning to myself. So that's what I learned. Like I, I, I just need to be truer to myself when I write my screenplays. You may or may not have alluded to this earlier, but I want to ask you this question more formally. So with everything that you've done as a writer, a playwright, screenwriter, if you had to identify the project or work that you're most proud of, what would that one project or work be? I have to quote your favorite person in the world, Prince, on this one. <laughs> um, I saw Prince do an interview once and I don't know who it was with or whatever, but they asked him what his favorite song was. And he said, the next one. <laughs> and and so for me, I don't think I've written my, my best work yet. I don't think I've written my favorite work yet. I think it's still coming. I think it's, I'm still growing and learning as an artist. So I'm proud of all of them, but my best, I haven't done my best yet. You know, it's the next one. Whatever that next one is, I'm excited about writing and creating that next thing. It keeps it, keeps it fresh and keeps me excited about the process. And I'm not striving for anything as far as like, this has to be the best. This has to win an Oscar. This has to be whatever. You know, I'm just, I'm just being open to the process of being an artist. So I haven't written my best work yet. <laughs> First of all, I love how you snuck in that Prince reference. I had my to you. Affection for Prince. I mean, it's well known, but nobody's ever hit me with it on the podcast. But <laughs> and saying that I know this interview is going to be fired because of that reference alone. Now, one thing that is super fascinating about your background is that outside of writing, you decided to go back to school as an adult learner to pursue your doctoral degree in sociology. So tell us more about that decision to return back to school. And what have you learned about yourself during this process? Well, you know, I was in a period in my career where I felt very stagnant and very depressed isn't the right word, but just like, why? Why am I doing this? You know, like this, this business is really hard and difficult and can be very crushing and I decided to go back to school because when, when you get an education, it's yours. You know, you can't take back the knowledge. No one can say, okay, you give it back, Monique. You're not using it. You can't have it. And that's, I wanted to do something just for me, just for, for my own edification and my own growth and to challenge myself, basically, because I hadn't been back to school in over 20 years when I decided to go back. And for me, it was frightening. It was, it was really frightening because I didn't know what I was going to expect. That's why I went to a community college to start off first, just to, you know, dip my toe in there and see like, okay, can I, can I even do this anymore? Can I do homework? What is reading? I don't know what that means. You know, that type of stuff. And the first class I took was an anthropology class. I didn't settle on sociology at first because I really didn't know. My favorite writer of all time is Zora Hurston. And I had this huge poster of her in my office. And I was looking at her and I was trying to figure out what should I do? And I was like, 
wait, Zora was an anthropologist. I'm going to go to school with anthropology. And, but once I got into anthropology and started learning more about it, my professor was like, Monice, I think you're a sociologist. Because she was like, everything you, every, the way you write, the way you look at things, the way you discuss things, the way you share in class, you think like a sociologist. Have you ever thought about that? So I took a class. And then once I got in that class, it just clicked. Everything that I've been doing up until that point was sociology. <laughs> the study of stories, the story, the study of culture, the study of how we relate to one another. It's all sociology. It's all about how we explain ourselves and express ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves and how those stories become culture and, and, and everything. So sociology was like a fit for me. And I knew, you know, after a program at this age, like what am I thinking? Because I was usually the oldest person in the class. Sometimes I was older than my own professors. <laughs> and because I'm blessed with the genes, you can't really tell until I would start talking. And then something would come up and they would look at me like, well, what do you, how do you know that? And then they would start to realize my age. And I would try not to speak so much in the class because you just have a wealth of knowledge when you're older that a 20-year-old doesn't. And I didn't want their experience to be dwarfed by my life experience. So I didn't talk a lot. I would just observe. And in observing, I learned a lot about my own biases about young people, my own biases about education, you know, going into this whole thing older. When I when I had gone to school before, it was because I was trying to please my mom. When I went to school before, it's because I was just trying to get this degree so I could become a filmmaker. But this time, it was a whole different reason. It was just for life. People live into their 90s in my family. And I read this article about this woman. I think she just retired. She's a park ranger and she's 95. And she said that every 10 years, she would change her career just to do something different. Because she said, you know, life is too short to be doing the same thing forever. And I that's, that stuck with me. I was like, if I'm going to live into my 90s and I'm 44 going back to school, I'm really only halfway through my life right now. I could be doing something completely different in 10 years or 20 years. Wow. I mean, just everything that you shared is so inspiring. And again, going back to you being courageous enough to change your career when you have four job offers to going back as an adult learner in your 40s. I mean, I'm two years from 40 and it's been 10 years since I have my graduate degree, but it's it's a scary thought think about that but just your response and the people I've interviewed on this podcast has given me hope but I don't want to discount your story because you're doing the work I just wanted to acknowledge that because you have a level of bravery that's beyond words so thank you for sharing that I'm just speechless and taken aback <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Most I gotta show show respect where it's due. Now, Monice, we are approaching the home stretch and we are now heading into one of my favorite segments on the podcast, which is about music. And everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide ask them this following question. If they had to identify a song in their opinion that best represents Detroit, what would that song be? I know we've spoken about writing. We've spoken about your work as a screenwriter, just everything. But I'm curious to hear your response about music. So hit me. You know, this is this is funny. I'll give you one answer, but I have two other ones to add to it. And this is this is purely because of listening to Mason in the morning back in the day. Mm -hmm. This was a song he always played to start the show. 
and it was called Hello Detroit. <laughs> but Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, I could still hear the song in my head all the time. And I remember seeing him sing that once on a Tonight Show or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, Sammy Davis Jr. is singing about Detroit on a Tonight Show. So Hello Detroit is the song that comes to my mind when I think about home. But then the two other ones I would add is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. I always feel like if Detroit had a voice, like if Detroit could physically talk, it would sound like Marvin Gaye in my head. So what's going on? And then just because it's a hype song and, and you know, if you just feel like you can't get something done, you need to be hyped up. I'm sure people have said this one before, Lose Yourself by Eminem. You know, you got to get, you got to get that mojo going, you know? So those are the, those are the three ones that I would choose. Those are all great choices. All three have been chosen. So maybe I can toss you a, a, a pitch and maybe say like, give us an Anita Baker song, even though she's been chosen. <laughs> Anita Baker. A lot. Yes. That's what I'm, I was trying to think of a woman. I was like, this is just wrong. There's got to be a woman. I mean, I guess Anita Baker could be one or maybe, maybe if you want to go gospel, you bring me joy by the Clark sisters. Like, what, what was I thinking? Okay, that that's definitely, you know, that's a definite straight up Detroit song. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many great artists that came out of Detroit, you know? So that's kind of a difficult question. You know, Dancing in the Street by my friend the Vandellas. I mean, it's just so anything in the Motown label. But yeah, you know, I wish I could give you a stronger answer, but, you know, that's that's what I came up with. No, those are your choices, and that's totally fine. So we'll definitely make sure that the other songs that you mentioned are added to the playlist. So what do you have going on next and how can we as a community take an active role in supporting the work that you're doing? Well, I mean, I have some things in the works that I hope to make an announcement about really soon. If people like audio dramas, they can check out my audio drama, Address House Corrections, on um, iTunes and Spotify. It's, it's on a lot of different places, but um, iTunes, definitely. And that is a podcast that celebrates Detroit. It tells a story of my uh, grandmother coming up from Locust Grove, Georgia, to Detroit, Michigan, Paradise Valley, and everything like that, and becoming, you know, the drugs, you know, heroin and everything back in the day. And, and just, it's just the roots of my family, basically. <laughs> so if you want to, you know, celebrate a podcast that celebrates Detroit, check out Address House of Corrections. And then you can just follow me on all my social media platforms. I'm everywhere on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can go to my blog, MoniceMitchellSims.com. And there I post a lot of content that I don't normally post on, you know, my social media platforms. So you can keep up with me there. And um, I'm just, you know, using every opportunity I can, every platform I can to tell stories. So whether it's a, a tweet or Instagram post, I'm, I'm a storyteller wherever I am. So you can support in that way. And then hopefully once I can make my announcement, I can come back on. We can talk about that and give y'all some specifics of what you can do. All right. Well, we can't wait to share. Now, I know you mentioned your social media, but where can people find you in those spaces? I'm on East Mitchell Sims everywhere. So on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, my blog, my personal blog. I keep it really simple. One, you know, we talked about this offline. There aren't many Monises in the world. So it's great that people can always find me <laughs> because when you type in Monise, my name pops up because there's not many people, you know, out there with that name. And yeah, just, you know, hit me up. I, I love connecting with people and, and talking with them. Like you reached out to me. I love connecting with Detroiters and people who are interested in being storytellers because I believe everybody's a storyteller. 
All right, Monice, final question as we wrap out. And that question is simple. What does Detroit mean to you? Detroit is home. It really is my North Star. It's my center. You know, no matter where I am in the world, Detroit is always with me. And it will always be with me. Short, sweet, simple, and to the point. Monice, this was fun. I am being very biased when I say this, but I feel like people from Wayne State, outside of my HBCU graduates and Michigan State graduates too, you all give me some amazing interviews. I walked away feeling inspired and this was great. So I don't have anything else to say other than thank you. This was fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Keep up the fantastic work. We as Detroiters and specifically as, as Wayne State graduates, we are innovators, leaders, trailblazers in every sense of the word. And like to think that you define those characteristics as well. So once again, thank you so much. Thank you. For sure, for sure. Well, on behalf of Monice Mitchell Sims, I am Marquise Taylor. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we will both holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. Loving what you're hearing? Then feel free to visit our new website where you can listen to previous episodes, explore our Black Business Directory, and also check out other content related to this platform. Head over to DetroitWorldwide.com to learn more. And if you're listening on an Apple device, feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. This platform would not exist without your support. I thank you. <laughs>